welcome back to The Shed. If you're new to The Shed Dogs podcast, we're three old guys who just talk about whatever crosses our mind. And, you know, basically we just goof around and chat and sometimes we pass on useful information. So if you're not new, hi, glad you're back again. We're ready to go with a bunch of stuff for today. Let's start. So Extraordinary Attorney Wu, we've all seen it. And uh, when did you guys see it recently? Or? It's been quite a while since it first aired, hasn't it? Same for you, KJ? Yeah, I looked at uh, the first episode again today just oh. because you... Just update it, yeah. Yeah, that and- yeah I, I saw it, I guess, only about a month ago. So you guys are more uh, professional K-drama experts than I am. I think this is only the second series I've seen that's a K-drama series. Did you watch it all? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. I just loved it. and But I was curious whether I was just loving it because it's good, like K-dramas are good, or I want to hear your thoughts on is this a typical K-drama, you know, what you kind of normally expect. Maybe I'll call out a few things and you can comment on are these typical for K-dramas. Yeah. Well, one thing is that they don't do a big deal of the romance for most of the series, which they would have with an ordinary attorney. The romance would be the, like the number one plot point. Well, certainly the number two and rather prominent. And they really waited. They kiss at the end, don't they? Yeah, they kiss uh, around the, the ten. I think, how many episodes? 16. 16. They kiss around the 10th episode or so. Yeah. Anyway, it, she's just so fun to watch. Yeah. I think she's incredible. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to hear about. So as far as K-drama goes, I think that's that's about the only thing I would have thought too is in your your garden variety K-drama, the romance is way bigger deal. And it was sort of a big deal in this one too insofar as you kept wondering, could that even happen? Yeah. But what I thought about it was, so for our listeners who haven't watched this, I know that may be incredible that you haven't all watched the same stuff as we do, but <laughs> the attorney in the in this, she's on the spectrum, right? She has a, some level of autism. Autism spectrum so, disorder, yeah. And in one manifestation, she is able to remember everything she reads, word for word, everything she reads. Yeah, she has, it takes her a while to recall it, but once she recalls, it comes yeah. to the surface and yeah. I was wondering all the way through the show, a couple of things. One is, is that even realistic? I don't have any idea. I also wondered, like the writers, it's like, it's like having magic at your command, right? So you sort of think you're the guy writing this show and extraordinary attorney Wu is in a tight spot someplace, but she has at her command, more or less, every legal thing ever written, every opinion, every rule, every everything. That she's read. Yeah, but you know, you're given to understand that she's read a lot and because yeah. she's given very thick files to go through cases and she's always the first one through them and stuff like that. Top of her class in law school. And you sort of think, how are these writers going to stop going to the well and create tension? Because somebody with that kind of stuff at their command should just walk through everything, should be able to, I thought, anyways. Well, I think their method of doing tension is essentially that it takes her a while to recall. And each time she makes the connection, they do a visual where her hair is suddenly blowing like it's in the wind. They focus right up on her, yet it goes out of focus a little bit. Music. There's some music. (laughs) 
and it calls to the whales because listeners, she's a fixated on whales. She's obsessive. Obsessed with whales and and knows all these facts about whales. And you know that's going to come, and it typically comes a couple times in every episode. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I mean. It's like an act of God that she she can just recall all this stuff that somehow the whole case turns on, you know, like. Yeah. Again, I just, the, what I was really wondering about was how do the writers manage that? You can't go to that well just all the time because I found myself just expecting her to recall some arcane piece of legal knowledge. Yes. yes. To solve every problem. and. Well, it was know, a, that would get old pretty fast, so... Yeah, I don't know. She didn't do it every single time, right? Pretty well every episode, and it was a confection, really. I mean, I didn't mind. In fact, I, I like not having to be too worried. I, I like just knowing, okay, she's yeah. going to solve the problem. I mean, that's the basis of many, many shows yeah. anyway, is that they are going to solve the problem by the end. I just started a new one called Bad Prosecutor. And the guy, our hero, Bad Prosecutor, he took a swordsmanship class with the sticks where you just bonk mm-hmm. you know you're in full mm-hmm. whatever you call that kendo perhaps anyway i i thought oh it's really good that this guy knows how to take care of himself because we know he's gonna he's a bad prosecutor so he's gonna get into a lot of bad situations and and that's just like the expectations of Wu young Wu is gonna solve every case right she's got this special yeah. and, and as long as they can take care of themselves if there's six guys you know that are hero is going to whip him right yeah yeah and then they introduce of course uh that's a nice point so it's the same question from the writer perspective we don't want to overplay his unbelievable fighting but we have to make sure people same thing happened with lorenzo vincenzo vincenzo same thing happened with vincenzo the lawyer he's he's a super good fighter Uh, so about every other episode he's in some situation and you just get to know what the bad guys don't is that he can just clean them without even really trying. Yes, to. yes. And it's the same. There's a long, long history of that. Yeah, and I just in, really... in Western as well. Yeah. But yeah, I remember Lone Wolf and Cub manga. You just know that Ogami Ito is going to just whip these guys <laughs> who are, you know, they're thuggish, right? And they're going, <laughs> yeah. we're going to take you. <laughs> and you're going, okay, this is going to be great revenge. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really thought that through. I was thinking it's just a problem for Attorney Wu, but no, it's a it's a common, common problem. I guess all the superhero movies have that problem too. And that series, what I really wondered about too, like the actor that played the uh, Attorney Wu, I don't know whether the stuff she was doing in terms of her physical work, you know, the way she holds her hands, the stuff she goes through to step doors, the I way liked, she walks, I like all, all that stuff she did. I liked like that. Like yeah. she was pretty consistent all the way through. I just don't know whether it was, you know, wrong, offensively wrong, completely accurate. I just got no idea. Well, I did read a very long review by an autistic person oh, good. Mm-hmm. on the series and the pros were that they thought that she did a very, very good job. Excellent. Um, and I think she did consult with some autistic people to help her with that. As you might expect, they wished that there had been a real autistic person being the actor. Mm. I mean, that that would be just the best if, if they could have pulled that off, but they didn't. They also, this particular person didn't like the trope that they, that she had perfect memory. Mm. It's kind of a thing like Rain Man. Yeah. Um, there's a number of of shows where they are extraordinary. Well, that's in the title. I mean, that's, <laughs> we, we watch shows cause people are extraordinary on the shows there. You know, that's why people listen to this podcast, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Because it's extraordinary. I, yeah, I couldn't. Honestly, when I started watching that thing, I, I don't even remember why I even got engaged at all with it. Like, I don't mm. even know how that mm. happened. I thought it was a, a lovely little world to live in for a while. Well, her boss, just because I just watched the first episode again, just his first encounter with her, she comes into the office and she does her Wu Young Wu which is yeah. the same for backward kayak <laughs> beat and you know, all, all the things that she goes through. And he just, he looks at her and then he goes instantly to his boss and says, well, why did you send me this person? Like, what am I supposed to, she's supposed to be able to meet with clients and, and, and speak eloquently at, in court, like right off the bat. And why did you send me? And his boss says, well, let's just see what happens, shall we? And he, he says, if she fails, can I get rid of her? And she says, sure. And then, because I think that's, you, you, you get drawn in because you think, well, yeah. sh- she's really, I mean, quirky. And so is she going to be able to, to do what we hope she's going to be able to do? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I really enjoyed this series. I did, I just, and I wondered what you guys thought of it just because it felt sort of like a guilty pleasure. I wasn't sure whether I should be enjoying it because is this fair? Is it accurate? Is it... I was just enjoying it mindlessly, and, and then it, whenever I thought about it, I just stopped thinking about it because I sort of didn't want to know. And it's pretty sweet as well. I was surprised to not notice something that's supposed to be obvious through the whole series until like the 14th episode or so, I decided to kind of Google it. When she says her name, and she says the same frontwards and backwards, then she says about six words in a row, starting with kayak. Race car. And I didn't know that all those words read the same from front to back. So I had no idea that, Oh, and you know, not only that, they decided to, you know, they, they, they came up with the English words that worked that way. I'm sure she's saying some other words in the original yes. Korean, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> Another thing was that I wondered if she worked on her appearance and mannerisms as an autistic person, how different she would look from other shows that she's in. It's the same for you, Mo. You've played very different looking characters as the same you, right? Mm. So listeners, I don't know if you've lasted through this all, uh, highly recommended extraordinary attorney woo on Netflix. And even if you feel, if you've gotten a few spoilers from this, we really have withheld a whole bunch about it. So I think, and plus you'll forget what everything we've said. Yeah. The the whole monster shark thing. We didn't even talk (laughs) the monster shark. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, Oh, they did. Yeah. In the comments, they also said, Somebody spent a lot of money on the whales in that show. Oh, like I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah. I liked it too. Actually, it sounds so corny, but just whenever she's having an epiphany, the, the show lets you know she's having that epiphany, as RJ said, with wind and then an image of some whale or another. Yeah. Because she really loves whales. And when she's having a really big moment, she thinks of, it's expressed partly in her mind as a whale appearance, which is kind of and I often, by the third episode or so, I start skipping the opening sequence. Yeah. But on oh, this yeah. one, I would just let the opening sequence play. <laughs> it kind of puts you in the mood for the show, right? And it's just a really, really sweet opener. So, yeah. yeah. I skipped it every time. Oh, God, they put a lot of money into those openers for you to be skipping them. Yeah. The focus is just perfect. It's crisp imagery. Oh, just like when she puts down her little eye shadow on the bedside and... She flicks her little whale. On the the yeah. whole thing is just spectacular. Yeah. Jeez. How long ago did you watch this, Archie? About a month ago, I guess. <laughs> man, oh man. 
I mean, I enjoyed it and everything, but you know, wow. Yeah, no, no, no. I did. I like I say, I kept thinking about it afterwards. Soon, I went down to Seattle for a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to see Mia Folick. I felt that she's going to be big someday, and we could see her in a little club. And it wasn't even sold out, so there's only like 200 people there. So that way I could be the the annoying hipster when she gets big. I can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we saw her. Just 200 people. And, uh, you know what? I'm pretty annoyed. You're <laughs> Like already. she's not even famous yet, and I'm already <laughs> annoyed. Already. I just, it's great. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> anyway, that was a great show. and we did I've some, never heard of her We did some all. tourist things. We went and saw Bruce Lee's uh, grave there. Is Bruce Lee buried in Seattle? Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. Bruce and Brandon, side by side. Did Bra- not Brandon's know. his son, yeah. Um, and we went for a, uh, a walk, a historic walk that I kind of built up from some tourist guides. So we kind of looked at, you know. You're Se- the king of those, aren't you? Yeah, and so Seattle's big basis was really the Alaska gold rush. That's what really got Seattle going as the intermediary city. You know, you would travel. Yep. From either from back East or through San Francisco, come up to Seattle and then, uh, you would get outfitted. So they needed a big mercantile store there. That's, you know, that building still exists kind of thing. And, uh, so, and we also went up the uh, Smith Tower and you get up there and you can have a view of the city. And I there's don't even one, know what the Smith Tower is. Yeah, yeah there's a whole bunch of history stuff right in downtown Seattle. It's very, very interesting. So, yeah, and so we stayed in a, a hotel downtown. And uh, one morning, our last full day, we'd already seen our show the night before. A guy gets in the elevator with us and we're like, he's one of those people that talks to strangers immediately. And he says, yeah, I'm going to Starbucks again. And we go, oh, well, we, we try a different coffee joint every morning. And he goes, oh, really, really, where are you going? And we go, Cafe Ladro across the street. He goes, okay, I'll come with you. And we go, good. And so he's an interesting guy. He's one of those kind of artistic people that looks uh, maybe moneyed a little bit because he's got a clean-shaved head and uh, glasses with clear white frames. You know, just a little bit uh, fashionable interesting guy, fun to talk to. So we're just chatting, walk across the street. Sue and I are placing our order and he's behind us and I go, I'll buy you coffee, right? So he orders, you know, Sue and I ordered coffee and a breakfast burrito and he orders coffee and a breakfast burrito. And I'm immediately going, oh, am I buying him breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. I'm going, let's not make this uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you know, get get it all. So I buy it, right? And, uh, so we go sit down and we're just chatting and he tells us, oh yeah, I'm here for, I'm from New Jersey. I'm here from, for a, uh, a show tonight at the Paramount. Well, the Paramount's right like there, you know, right at our hotel is the Paramount theater. It's one of these nice theaters like we have, you know, it's like maybe I wouldn't say it's as nice as the Orpheum, but it's got the same kind of feel maybe as the Vogue. And, you know, it has a nice big marquee Yeah. and, you know, a band, the band Churches was playing there the night before. They're kind of a mid-level kind of indie band. And so, yeah, he tells us all about this. So this is a celebration of life for Alan White. Now, he, he said Alan White, and I'm thinking, I think I've heard that name. So he was the drummer for Yes after Bill Bruford quit. So Bill Bruford was in the big Yes albums with Roundabout and Close to the Edge. 
and then they were about to go on tour for Close to the Edge and, and Bill Bruford quit. So Alan White came in. He had to learn the entire concert over in three days and he picked it up. And so he stayed with them for 40 years. And the thing about Alan White is he went and lived in Seattle. So he's super well known in Seattle. He says, yeah, yeah, we're going, you know, I tell you what, I'll get you seats tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll comp you a couple seats. You bought me breakfast, so you can have. Well, who's who are you talking to? I've lost the. Plot. I'm talking to the guy with the clear glasses. I know, but oh, okay, so he's not Alan White. He's obviously. not Alan, Alan White. White so he's not Bill Burford because Bill Burford he's not quit Bill Burford. forty years ago. So he is with WhyHunger.org, which is a uh, large American charity that was started in the states by a famous singer Harry Chapin. Oh, yeah. So Why Hunger was started by Harry Chapin, I don't know, 40 years back or something like that. And their whole focus is on advocate for universal basic income and, and getting removing poverty is the way to end hunger. But I think they also do some basic first level stuff as well. But anyway, they got this charity thing because I guess Alan White was involved as well. And he was telling us, oh, there's going to be some special videos tonight and everything. So soon I, after he's gone, we go, should we go? And go, yeah, well, we go. So we went and we actually got great seats. We were in the seventh row and the performances were spectacular. There were up to 20 people on stage at a time. The current touring band for Yes, you know, because Yes still exists, although there's not one original member on it. Um, Rick Wakeman did a special video just for the event, so, and he played a special performance of one of the old Yes songs on this video. And there was local Seattle royalty, like all the Seattle audience would get all excited because yeah. the main DJ or the main MC was a Seattle DJ. Yeah. One of those morning rock yeah, guys, yeah. you know. And uh, he was quite good. So we just really, the whole thing had a nice feel to it. So we just had a special little night just because uh, bought somebody a coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Some guy that talks in the elevator. You probably haven't heard the new release of uh, Revolver yet, have you? I have not, no. Okay. Uh, PJ, I know you're a big Beatles fan. Moby, you're a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Revolver is the last of the modern albums to be remixed by George Martin's son, Giles Martin. And it's really awesome. Like I, I listened to some of the old originals that I had on my music app, and then I would listen to the modern remixed version, and he's done a fantastic job, a really amazing job. And I watched, there's an interview by Mark Ellen. It's half an hour long. I watched the interview first, and then I was listening to stuff he talked about, and it was really quite good. What I found interesting was um, Revolver was still four-track. Like, so they they would record the entirety of Revolver in four tracks. So anyway, what would happen then is they would lay down maybe three instruments on one track because they, you know, so they would they'd go in the studio, okay, we're going to do the, I don't know, bass drums and one of the vocals on one track. And then they would do a guitar maybe or a couple guitars on the next track and then maybe the horns and strings, I don't know. So what happens is these things, like if you're in the remixing business, you want every single instrument on its own track. But he couldn't have that out of the box. So they actually worked with an audio company who works with various police jurisdictions. And so the 
the cops, when the cops will get audio from, you know, surreptitious listening in crowded spots, you know, like maybe somebody had their recorder on in a restaurant, right? And they're trying to hear the gang members talking or so maybe somebody was wearing a wire and they can't quite isolate the one voice. Yeah. So they, they use AI software that gets trained just like any other AI to listen over and over and over till it gets it right, you know? And then now the AI is really good about picking out mobsters voices. So they trained this AI on the, the Beatles. So now when uh, there'd be a murky bass somewhere in the back of the mix and there's nothing they can do about it because, you know, you raise the bass and you're also going to raise the drums and it's just going to become overbearing. Now they can split it out. And uh, and so if the bass is too prominent or not prominent. So man, oh man, listening to Revolver is just lovely. So you heard it then? Yeah, I've, I've played the whole thing because it's on Apple Music and so I just you know, downloaded that and I archived my old copy because I just don't need it for now. No, I listened to the first part of that interview and I didn't know that he was George Martin's son to start with. Yeah. But like, I didn't know that uh, Revolver was, they really put it up there on a pedestal. Some people think of it as the Beatles best album ever. Yeah. They might be people that are four or five years older than us because they'd been listening, you know, like when I first got into it was with Sergeant Pepper, like, well, I'd heard all the other stuff, but I think people who were already big fans and capable of buying albums by the time Revolver came out, that was like the one that suddenly changed everything for them. As opposed to, for me, it was Sergeant Pepper. Right. Right. And that they say it's where you hear that they're all expanding into their solo careers. They're just starting to hear them as solo artists yeah, yeah. for the first time. It's well, they were saying, I'll listen to the rest of it. I think the other thing was that was the first album the Beatles did. You can't say they didn't care, but they were way less concerned with, are we going to have a hit single on this album? Mm. They wanted to do stuff and they were much less concerned with whether or not that stuff was going to be commercially successful. I think they just assumed it would be. They just stopped. They just got to the point where they, you know, they could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and it would be commercial to paraphrase the, the mm. Trumpster. Mm. I think. I think that was a big change. It was the first album. It was the beginning of concept albums. Yeah, too, and the right? fact that George Martin rolled with it too. Because yeah. he could have been, come on, guys, let's get a hit. You know, I, I, you realize I work for the studio as well as you, you know, like he, yeah. he wasn't in that mode at all. And he was really helping them along. You know, John's just playing one note throughout one of the songs. He doesn't change it. And George Martin's going, I like how this sounds. <laughs> well, and I think his kid says in that interview, his kid talks about they all believed that they were really great. <laughs> like, yeah, they had self-confidence. All of them just thought we're the greatest. And George Martin thought he was the greatest and he thought they were the greatest too. They just sort of thought, whatever we do in here, we can't really do wrong. If we're happy with it, it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, they, that, that would have screwed them if they weren't all such hard workers. Yeah. Cause then they'd be going, you know, we're amazing and yeah. here I'll just whip, well, let's just whip this thing out and let's move on to whatever. Yeah. And yeah. it was partly cause they were great. They weren't going to be great. happy unless it was great. Right? They were great. And yeah, they weren't going to be happy unless yeah. it was great. That's Which right. Is kind of fun to think about. Yeah. Because apparently, you know, I read a number of reviews and I haven't listened to the outtake parts because those are probably quite a bit of fun as well. Yeah. You get to uh, once again, hear a song start like Yellow Submarine, start from just a ridiculous little ditty written and sung by John. And it just sounds stupid, really. 
And then you get to hear it progress until the point where Ringo's singing and it's all completely put together and yeah, not chosen is, a song that maybe a lot of people don't really like all that much. But To me, too, it really wakes me up to all the other bands that probably thought they were great and did the same sorts of things and just completely pooped the sheets. You know, there was lots that did have terrific albums, but there's a whole bunch of us. Like there's a fine line between believing you're great and having the awareness of why you believe that and simply thinking you're great and believing you're great and not being aware that you're not actually, you know, like, or how you got there or what it takes. You know, I don't know how they came to have it, but they appear to have had it. That's for sure. Well, they certainly had a lot of talent and they were willing to, to and fro quite a bit. Yeah. Sue and I are going to... A dinner club. It's a rare thing these days, right? Where's that? You might have heard of this, Mobe. It's down in Gastown. It's called Gilton Company. Mm-mm. And you basically show up. They don't open till 6 p.m. They don't let you do reservations. You can't buy tickets. But what you do do is show up around 6. The website says, yeah, you'll probably get in. You go right in at 6. By 7 p.m., a band starts. And the band plays a set. And they add to your bill $6 for the band. So you're buying dinner, drinks. The prices are not cheap, but they're not super expensive. But like, I think a decent meal is going to be around $20 and drinks are probably like $12 or something. So it does add up. But if you like the band, you can think of that as the price of seeing you're basically getting a free meal and you're, you know, cause Sue and I, like we, I, I, I especially love this band. They're a Vancouver band. It's spelled M N G W A M-N-G-W-A, pronounced by some as moi. And they're eight of them and they're from all over the world. So they p- play this fusion of like Latin hip hop, uh, jazz, all kinds of percussion instruments. They're super interesting to watch. And so they're on it uh, at 6 p.m. So we're going to show up and see if we can figure this all out. And if it works out as a nice, fun experiment to do their experience, then we'll... Uh, Typically, whenever I've gone to any kind of live performance, the performance is it. You can't talk to the people you're with, really. You can't really do anything but enjoy that performance. So if you go to dinner and there's a live performance, is it like that? You're just eating while you can't talk to whoever you're eating with? Well, that's a, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, like it can be super annoying. Like, I go to a lot of shows, and any time that it's at a, like, a, their drinks served, which is pretty common, like, any time the venue is smaller, yeah. there are usually bars right in the main venue area. Yeah. A lot of the time, the music is so loud that you can't, you still can't hear the people at the bar, but you can hear people talking animatedly because they've had several drinks. And so sometimes, you know, likely, sometimes. <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you, you, sometimes the music is magical. It's special. And oh, man. Well, this, the lyrics amazing and there's just a big jabbering going on behind you. Yeah. But you do have to get over that. Like I, that will bother me in a movie. Like I'll yeah. just be on edge, but in a concert, I just kind of come to accept it. It's part of the price of admission and, you know. So I kind of expect at a place like this, because the music is interesting and not a wall of sound style music, like, you know, like there's gaps and stuff. Yeah. 
that we'll hear lots of clinking of plates and things like that. But, yeah. you know, that's what you get at a dinner club. That's what you kind of expect. So, and, yeah. you know, some, some great albums with a live, you know, jazz piano, like, you know, um, oh, I forget her name. But anyway, some, some amazing magical performance. And you hear this clink, clink, and even some vocals in the background. It just becomes part of the album. Yeah, you still yeah. enjoy it a lot. Guys like right? Tony Bennett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wondered how how you would receive that at dinner. I'm not. I have never tried it. Have a dinner in a place at, where you really just can't talk. You just eat your dinner and watch the show, sort of thing. Oh yeah, no, no. I would love that. What 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 I'm at risk of being annoyed by is people who feel like they still have to talk. So yeah, no. I I got no issue with it's being, sort of the flip side of the same question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm sure that. Well, I mean, I you sure get out a lot, though. I gotta say. Mm-hmm. There's one on there. I saw something on our list and it was asking whether or not matte finishes are the champagne of today. Yeah. yeah. Is it you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm referring to, of course, the champagne color of cars in the nineties. I like these colors, but I could see some people not liking them at all, but there's a trend towards it's a glossy, it's not matte, but there's not a hint of metal flake, nothing fancy in these paint colors, they're often pale, but glossy. And so typically the, they might be gray. If they're colored, they still have an infusion of gray, kind of like they're... I think of them as clay colors. Yeah, clay, that's it. I would call it that, and yeah. They but are glossy. Really, yeah, they really are a thing. Lots of paints have a lacquer coat on it, so that makes the paint look deep and lustrous. Well, they don't have that. They're just plain color. Yeah. And it's a rich color, but it's not an exciting color typically. It's just sort of, like I say, to me, it suggests clay all the time. Yeah. That is really common there. Sometimes they have a rich color, like a rich orange, but mostly they're pale. Yeah. But you can't call them pastel really. No, but they're they're, kind of, they're more vibrant than that, but yeah. they are just not, they're not electric blue. So. I, I like the looks of them when I, they catch my eye. And once you, once you notice them, you notice them all the time. But to your original question... Mm-hmm. those might be the champagne of now. Right. Meaning 20 years from now, people are going to look at those and yep. say, oh man, that yep. do I have to buy that to own a used car? But my first response was, first of all, don't, in, don't insult champagne, <laughs> RJ, just don't. <laughs> Secondly, champagne persisted for a long time after the 90s and is still sold today in some numbers. And I can tell you that because I've spent weeks looking at used cars just weeks. And there's all kinds of, especially I note cars like Lexuses and uh, Acuras, like cars that old people buy. Uh-huh. They, they are often in champagne-like or oh, champagne Oh, they still are colors. brand new. Yeah. They, they're the ones that show, show up in that sort of oh, mint I see. green kind of, yeah, that yeah. very light mint green or champagne or those kind of way more pastel-like colors. Yeah, yeah. But the flat finish, I don't think is quite as... Uh, predominant no no it is like you notice them but if you start looking for them it's still going to be one in 20 cars or so going by they're more common than the iridescent paint jobs but not as common as the clay colors but that is the new champagne that that style of paint is the new champagne Mm -hmm. all kinds of them around Heaven knows when you're going to hear this, but when you do, I hope you enjoy it as much as we did doing it. 
Buddy the dog is now come alive. He has a shoe. It must mean it's time for us to go because he's gone too crazy with those needle teeth. We'll try to keep him from drawing blood. He might actually do it. I saw that shoe sitting around and I didn't realize, oh, that's a good one. Take care of yourselves and come hear us again soon. Thanks a lot. Say goodnight, boys. Goodnight, boys. Goodnight, boys. Goodnight, buddy. For God's sakes, get off. Buddy, come here. He's just going. Buddy, buddy, buddy. No, no, no. We don't bite anybody. Come here. Come here. Oh, yeah. Come (laughs) apart. Come apart. (laughs) It's at moments like this that I'm glad you